I spent the last three years learning from some of the most ingenious mergers and acquisition specialists around. And now I've decided to take the leap into buying businesses. The real questions are how will I do it? How much of the behind the scenes can we really show? And how can business owners like you maximize their purchase price and build generational wealth? This show is going to give you the answers. Join me and follow along as I share mine and other stories as we buy, sell, or merge healthcare businesses and physical therapy practices. I'm Dave Kittle, and this is The Dave Kittle Show. Hey, on today's episode, we are talking about practice valuations, the art of practice valuations. I am Dave Kittle, owner of Concierge Pain Relief Home Physical Therapy in the New York City area and the CEO of the Fieldmaker Group. We're currently speaking with practice owners about partnering or acquiring some or all of their practice in the New York and New Jersey area. And today we have Jason Horowitz on the show. He is the founder and managing partner of HDS Advisory. You can check them out online at hdsadvisory.com. He's a management consultant and he helps practice owners on the buy side and the sell side. So if you're looking to exit and sell in the next uh, year or two, he might be able to help. And as well as if you're not looking to sell and you're looking to buy and uh, lay out growth and strategic plans into the future, he could also help. So I think Jason will be perfectly positioned to talk about practice valuations. We're going to talk about multiples and, and potential ranges. We're going to get into all that, how the buy side and the sell side can uh, underwrite deals, go through these exercises of how do we figure out the value and the, the actual asking price or the worth of a practice. Before we get into that, Jason, welcome on. Thanks, Dave. I really appreciate it. I know you're a busy guy and carving time out for myself is, uh, you know, very special for me. So you got it. So give the audience a little bit of a background if they don't know you uh, a little bit of yourself, the firm and the practices that you help. Sure, absolutely. So Jason Horowitz, the founder and magic partner of HDS Advisory. My background, I've been about, oh, it's about two and a half decades worth of experience in the healthcare services industry. I uh, cut my teeth over in Wall Street as a traditional investment banker, providing services for healthcare providers, health systems, the senior care providers, uh, insurance companies, buy side, LSL side, raising money, you know, your typical 90 hour a week investment banker. I decided to move over to more of the corporate side uh, back in uh, 2014, uh, where I was an executive at the one of the largest health systems here in New York, uh, helping build their ambulatory practices and strategies and help grow that business from about two to eight billion dollars. And then post COVID decided to take a couple of steps and try to, to do these things on my own. I think that there is a definitely a lack and gap of experience for strong advisors and, and consultants in, in the small to medium sized practice arena. And I thought that I could take my specialties to, you know, kind of to the public. So HDS Advisory was formed. I have a, a pretty good staff uh, that I and a network that I built to help uh, both buy side and sell side. I spend about 50% of the time doing sell side advisory work and 50% of the time doing buy side. Buy side is also split between uh, large practices and private equity. So I think I have a pretty good grasp of what the market looks like. And over the past 25 years, everything winds up being cyclical anyway. So if we haven't seen it, uh, you know, in the next five years, we start, certainly saw it the past five years. So looking forward to the conversation. Excellent. And I know that we are uh, mainly talking about this title of practice valuations. Practice valuations are more art than science. And we're going to get into that. In the pre-interview, I was asking you 
you know, so you're in Long Island, I believe, right? Not too far away from me. Yep. Yep. So we're in the <laughs> same, right. we're in the same geographical area. Obviously things like valuation, it changes based off of payer mix and uh, location and scale, obviously, and a whole host of other factors, um, referral partners. And I mean, so many other factors that we can get into, but in the pre-interview, I was asking you about, you know, multiple ranges. What are you seeing out there for, you know, a million or two sides, you know, practice, or are they in three or four range of uh, three or four X EBITDA for valuations? We'll get into that a little bit. There was something before we get into more of like the art and science you were mentioning in the pre-interview about what maybe in the past year or two or a couple of years of a lot of these practices being valued at maybe one to 1.2 times revenue. And then either some of the smaller ones or maybe those practices now are a little bit closer to 0.7 to 0.9x of revenue. When you look at some of those and you kind of mentioned in the pre-interview, you kind of like, you also have to kind of check like, does this make sense from an EBITDA standpoint? I know some of these, um, there's a little bit of an overlap with some of these numbers. Um, what are some of the initial jumping off points with these valuations that you discuss with your clients on the, the buy side and sell side? Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, that's a great starting point. So, you know, the first is I was formally trained as a, as a chemical engineer. So I have this kind of process universe going on in my world. And if you can't measure where you are today, you're not going to be able to figure out where you want to be either tomorrow and how to get there. Right. So valuation is that perfect jumping point. And when you're dealing with, especially with smaller and, and, and mid-sized firms, we finance folk like to use very fancy words like EBITDA operating margin and using all these particular terms. And at the end of the day, it winds up being more confusing to folks. So we were talking about in the pregame, you know, a better metric or how I like to use better metrics, which is sales, right? I have a patient coming in, he or she is going to be uh, either, you know, commercial pay or self-pay or, you know, government pay, but I'm going to get a certain amount of cash that's going to be coming in the door. And back and having those conversations, it usually wound up being medium-sized practices and kind of the million to you know five million dollar range a very simple rule of thumb right 0.9 to 1.1 times you know dollars in the door really regardless of where they're where those dollars are coming from and if you did an analysis probably over the over the past 15 to 20 years uh and you converted that back to an ebitda margin or an operating margin it would be the normal conversion of four to six times maybe six and a half times you know, EBITDA. But as the market shifted a little bit, and we're seeing this really a lot post-COVID, margins have been squeezed so much, operating margins have been squeezed so much that that revenue number, which is dollars within the door, you know, has come down from a valuation perspective. And I think, you know, now we're now we're seeing a, a 0.7 to 0.9, which is almost, when you look at it historically, a distress level for almost any any provider, health system, Physician group ASA. If you can't make a hundred cents on the dollar coming in from a value perspective, then traditionally you're doing something wrong and there should be low hanging fruit. But that seems to be the norm today. And that's the conversation that I've been having with a lot of folks, which is reality is we all know it's very difficult to get human capital in the door, to get reimbursed correctly. Inventories and, and raw materials are, you know, increasing and, and you're just your margins are being squeezed. So that's relating a lot to, you know, folks in, in trying to value these practices, even the large people that you can get some synergies. You're, you know, there's a question whether I'm going to pay for that or not. Right. But 
again, the reality is I need to be able to have a return on my investment. And if I'm not making the amount of money that I thought I would be, then I'm probably going to have a different valuation coming in. They're tough, very tough conversations today, but you need to, to, I think, build that relationship and set those expectations very early on, or else it's going to be a very difficult process on, on the sell side. On the buy side, you know, it's it. If you have capital, it's buyer's market, one hundred percent. You can have the cream of the crop. You can, you know, play the the distress game, and folks are having a lot of fun if they have some dry powder and on their balance sheet. Got it. You mentioned a squeeze on operating margins. Is that? I mean, obviously, um, reimbursement is pretty much plateaued. It's not going to necessarily increase dramatically anytime soon, and there's increase in. I mean, inflation now is better than last year, and but there's still like, you know, every year these practices have to pay a little bit higher rent, a little bit higher payroll, you know, team members are asking for raises and all that. So are those some of the major forces affecting these free margins? Yeah, I mean, you talk about the, the uh, it's just the, the, the margin gap, right? Reimbursement, whether it's steady or staying the same, or maybe you're getting the two to 3%. It never was keeping up with that inflation, right? So, and then on the operating side, human capital has that the cost for, for finding and retaining human capital from people to manage the front desk, to do billing and cycling, to actually have the clinicians. It is extraordinary post COVID, especially in our area, Dave. You know, we just can't find good people and afford good people, uh, to stay within practices. So. You have the combined salary increases, benefit increases, rents, electricity, all of that, even if it's subsided from an inflation perspective, reimbursement hasn't kept up in the past you know, two decades, uh, let alone in the past five years. And so where I think you're seeing the, the biggest squeeze right now is folks were trying to make that up in volume. And... In order to increase volume, you either have to increase referral networks or you have to do advertising or you have to bring something different to the table to try and increase that patient base. And there's not enough extra dollars to do that, right? I can't hire someone just to go out and do uh, community outreach, even advertising in, on your podcast or, you know, and on, uh, you know, in the newspapers or, or television or however folks are, are you know, using uh, media right now. It's expensive. It's difficult. So you wind up into this death spiral. It's and and for the smaller practices, it's been it's been quite a challenge. Right. And now you layer on this calendar year, 2023, the increase, the incremental increase in interest rates. Because one thing that we're discussing in the pre-interview is that valuations are being compressed. You mentioned because financing is rough or challenging. And I asked you in the pre-interview, are you seeing financing or is your perception of financing being tough or challenging because of this climate interest rates. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, at first blush, that's what people are, are saying. Oh, it's higher interest rates, higher cost of capital. I have to have higher rates of return in order to, you know, make this th- these dollars work for me. And, and frankly, while that is a component, the missing component is especially on the buy side scenario where folks are financing transactions through existing lines and whether those existing lines were fixed or or floating on the rate, there are covenants associated with it. So the existing buyer's practice has operating margins that they have to achieve, has to have cash on hand that they have to achieve, debt uh, ratios that they have to meet on a quarterly basis. And if their operations have been squeezed, 
their lines get shut down regardless of whether it was available six months ago. So when I talk about, you know, having a challenging financing environment, it's just not only the ability to, uh, you know, get the return on investment because of, of, of higher interest rates, but it's also the access to that capital, whether you had it or not. And then you have a real question to yourself. If I don't have access to a loan, which I had before because it was shut down because of some covenant issues, my next phase, if I really want an acquisition to occur, is getting cash. And cash can either be from you know cash on the balance sheet or going from partners or or raising equity, right? And the raising equity component, that's also a little bit tricky. Not only is it the highest cost of capital that anyone's going to see, if there's not you know, excess funds and your partners and your LPs and, uh, you know, or your, your other, you know, physician partners, uh, to go and, and, you know, give you money to, to, to buy a practice. It, it's, it's just not going to be there. You know, they have mortgages to pay. Their kids are going to college and they own their, you know, their own operations, uh, you know, have to be, uh, you know, working well. So. Got it. Now for practice valuations, as you're saying, are more art than science. Do you typically kind of start with some of the the math and the science of like, like you said, the back of the napkin type math, like million dollar practice and at any given time, whether this year, three, four years ago, next year, million dollar practice, let's just say you're saying maybe 0.7 to 0.9, which would be a valuation of 700,000 to 900,000, or maybe as high as one to 1.2 X of revenue, which would be a million or 1.2 million. So kind of like there's like a, a window of from $700,000 to 1.2 million, right? So is that kind of like a starting point for a lot of practice owners to think about? And then it's the art of like all those other factors of what will slide that practice closer to maybe 700,000, depending on the environment, depending on financing, depending on all these other factors, but million dollar practice in a lot of geographies, a lot of metros, maybe that window of 700,000, so 1.2 million. And then there's the factors of everything else that we mentioned that slides them up and down that scale. Is that one way to look at it? Or is that not a good way to look at it? Yeah, no, that, that's definitely one way to look at it. And it really depends on your your partner, right? Your client. You'll have some folks that are, are very sophisticated. And where, we're, where we will start is having a conversation on operating margins and EBITDA margins, right? We'll talk about all that that great stuff that advisors, you know, typically spend a lot of, uh, you know, get paid for uh, from a valuation standpoint, which is, you know, this is your tax return. These are going to be your particular ad backs, one-time expenses. This would be the range of kind of the operating margins. And that is still science, right? There are accepted methodologies for valuation, both from a legal perspective and from, uh, you know, uh, what I would just say, an advisor perspective that we all go through. And, and I think we know it, right? Uh, M&A, uh, present transactions, discounted cash flows, public transactions, replacement costs, you know, that that tends to be the science part. Where I then like to take part is the art, right? The 25, 30 years of experience, the understanding that it takes a buyer and a seller in order to make a transaction. And there there needs to be some sort of meeting of the minds all along the, the transaction process. And so I could tell you with very with very sure certainty what your EBITDA is by the dollar based on the methodology of accepted you know, practices 
And then I could tell you, and you probably will not get that number. And here's the reason why. Because as a professional, I know that a one-time personal charge that you put through your private practice will not exist going forward uh, from the sell side perspective and from the buy side perspective. Yes, that won't exist, but I'm going to have two or three other charges that I'm going to put on your expense portion that may or may not work, you know, to your advantage, right? So you're going to have a, a, a mismatch of the minds. And so how do we, you know, how do we bridge that gap? So then we start using the art, right? Are you the largest player or the strongest player from a referrals perspective within your community? What does your reimbursement look like? How long have you been practicing? Are there additional practitioners within you know, your office? Uh, have you put together a very, you know, smart patient experience plan and an advertising plan? You know, all those things could increase value where it can decrease value. Do you have debt? Uh, do you have big churn in your employee base? Is your, your demographics a lot of self-pay, but, you know, low income? You know, those things are, are kind of detrimental. So you put the pluses and the minuses. We kind of mix it up in this little black box and we say, okay, Dave, at the end of the day, what do you want to have in your pocket, right? Because that's what we're talking about. If you want to sell and you're not looking to be a partner with somebody, but you're really looking to you know, take dollars off the table, what's going to make you and your wife and your family happy? That number is a net number. It's not a gross number, right? If I pay you a million dollars today, I still got capital gains that I have to pay. You know, Maybe there's some deferred escrow payments that you got to pay your advisory fees. So what's going to be the number in your pocket? And then the art is, or how do I get you that number? And maybe, just maybe, there are other attributes to the transaction that can get you there. Do you want to stay on board for three years and and be a practitioner? What's your employment agreement going to look like? Are you the owner of the building? What does your rent look like? Right? Are you are you taking advantage of being the owner of this particular site, or are you just leasing to a third party? Do you have some sort of ancillary? you know, products or, uh, you know, devices that you're selling, or, or maybe you, you're, you know, you're, you have your own podcast and your own, you know, website that has some sort of value in an email list. Maybe we can monetize that in a certain way, but you've got to take all these components together, have that conversation with your client and then come up with a number and then be realistic about going out to market and seeing if that number is going to be, you know. Got it. So when you're on the sell side, do you you help your clients with that behind the scenes of like what's the type, what's the net number you want you and your wife, your spouse, your partner, whatever it might be? What's that net number that you are looking to then have in retirement, whatever they're going to then do with that money? But that number is that's an approach that you use from the sell side, and then also when you're on the other side of the table, do you also ask that type of a question? From the buy side, like, you know, kind of like, let's get down to it. Like, there's all these other things that we've gone through, but like, is there a number that you really are looking for after legal fees or advisory fees and whatever it might be to get through this process, the capital gains, all that, taxes, et cetera? Is that something that you've also asked from the buy side or is that more from the sell side when you're like one on one with your client? Yeah, it, it's both, uh, Dave. You know, frankly, I live under a mantra where I don't want to trade time for money. Right. This is that's not me. I'm not a, I'm not an attorney. Right. And even in my management and consulting business, uh, 
you know, I don't charge by the hour when I'm doing certain projects, right? This is all value added projects uh, and we'll work together as partners. So the last thing that I want to do is extend a transaction or a transaction process uh, for no reason. So on the buy side, there are a couple of ways that we go about it. One, what are you really looking for kind of on a return of investment? People have that idea. Like for every practice that you're going to bring in, what are the expectations? What are the upsides? You know, how much do you think this is going to bring in from a top line perspective? And where do you actually think synergies are going to be from a margin so that you can get that return? How much uh, capital do you have to play with and how much time do you have to, you know, be able to grow that? Once you establish that with your buyer, then when you're having the conversation with the seller, it is very easy to say, I'm being transparent. Here's where the transaction lays today. This is where the obstacles are going to be from a financial perspective. Let's see if we're going to be able to bridge it. Now, my advisory work is probably very different than other brokers or advisors out there. I want to have the most educated people at the table and be completely transparent because only then can we get to a conclusion quickly and acceptable to both parties. I'm not one of these guys that are going to come in and say, oh, I'm going to lowball you here and then see if I can get away with this. And to me that, you know, you're not doing anybody any favors. Yeah, everyone's going to have a bid and an ask and then we'll go around a couple of negotiations. But let's get to the ballpark, right? If I'm at six times EBITDA, if my seller wants six times EBITDA and my buyer is at like two and a half, what, what are we talking about, right? So let's just lay that out on the table. I love you. It's been a great, uh, you know, initial conversation, great meal, whatever it is, go, your, good, you know, good luck on your, on your, uh, on your process. Got it. I had another podcast guest recently. I can't recall who said it. It might've been either might've been John Barnes. I think it was John Barnes, another advisor based on the West coast. And um, excuse me, he was down South. So he had said on the show, great practices are not sold. They're bought. What are your thoughts around practice owners that get to a point of maybe it's COVID took the wind out of their sale. Uh, they're frustrated. There's this, you mentioned the, the compression of operating margins and all these other inflationary components, higher interest rates, all this other stuff going on, salaries, rent, everything else is increasing, reimbursement staying the same. So there's a challenge. A lot of these practices are getting squeezed. And a lot of those practice owners, they get frustrated. Maybe they get fatigued. They're they're just done with it. And they're at the point where then they're they're going to try to exit at some point. What's the difference between that type of a practice or practice owner versus a practice owner who, regardless of age, maybe they have better margins, they have some, you know, some moat or some, you know, savvy component that with referral partners, whatever it might be, better online marketing that you kind of mentioned, where those practice owners maybe get approached by you know, the regional or corporate buyers, and those buyers are looking to get a foothold in that geographical region or something. Can you speak to the difference between maybe those practice owners that like are have to sell a practice or they, they want to like get out versus the practice owners that have maybe a, a little more of an appealing practice where buyers will be a little more competitive in their offers. And those practices are going to then be quote unquote bought as opposed to being sold. Yeah, I, I actually, I, I love that quote. I may have to steal that one. So great, right. Great practices, you know, definitely get bought. And you, you see it, you, you know it 
right when you're walking in as a person who's pitching a deal on the sell side, you know it right away whether this is a this is a seller or just someone looking for entrepreneurial you know growth story you know taking it to the to, to that next level. Um, and these are the there are kind of three or four questions that I ask right away, right? So, uh, why are you going to sell, right? And usually, or why why are we talking, right? Why why are we having this conversation? If it's I'm tired is one of the big things that you've mentioned, right? I'm tired of owning a practice. And that ownership comes with the HR component, the reimbursement component, all, all the re- things are running. I just want to be a, either I, I want to be a clinician or I just want to be out. Uh, that's on kind of the left side of the table and they are sellers, right? They're just, they're, they're done. They're looking for the highest price in the, the minimum amount of time. And whether they're going to be employers or employees or not, you know, that's kind of secondary in nature. To me, that's broker business, maybe a little bit advisory if, if we can spruce it up to get a higher valuation. I tend not to deal with those people, uh, but that's, that's again, that's a personal choice. There are a thousand of me's running around trying to gain business on the sell side. Uh, and, you know, we'll all charge kind of whatever this is, you know, from a practice perspective. Um, and people are going to be able to do a good job. But if you're just looking to get out, you know, I'll probably have you talk to like four or five other different people because that just doesn't excite me. But it's the other folks that regardless of what was going on with margins and compressions, they're excited. They're talking about growth strategies. They're talking about patient experience. They're talking about, you know, different types of healthcare delivery services and integrations. And what possibly could I do if I had this, right? Where am I today? And what could I do if I had why? Uh, and whether that's capital, whether that's, you know, uh, money capital or human uh, capital, uh, whether that's different services, uh, just a bigger referral network, always thinking those are the type of people uh, they're bought. Uh, and 100 percent, you're going to get corporate buyers and larger buyers in there. Why? Because you have a leadership that has a mentality of still being an owner and not an employee. Uh, somebody of growth, understanding the markets or wanting to understand the markets and still wanting to be in the game for, for a longer period of time. Got it. And in regards to any other components of valuations, um, art more than the science or being in uh, the art component, um, mm-hmm. what other things maybe we haven't covered or haven't discussed that would be contributory to this conversation that kind of adds into the nuance, sometimes this being a, a nuanced situation because it's every practice is different. And then there's all those components. And then it's like, you know, the sell side, the advisor coming up with an asking price, or you're asking the buyers just for, you know, blind bids. And, you know, your, your client is looking for the, the, the best opportunity. What are some other things that maybe either we just overlooked or we haven't covered yet that kind of contribute to this conversation? Yeah. I mean, then that's a good way to, to kind of, and this, I, you know, I, I like to look at transactions on a holistic point of view. And, you know, getting back to that, when you're on the sell side, getting back to that question to the owner of, you know, what, what are we talking about and what are you looking for? Right. And that, that all in number. So the transactions have a lot of different components to it. There's the actual selling of the practice, right? You have that upfront consideration, but a nuance there could be, 
Do you need all those dollars up front or can there be some sort of earnouts uh, or or performance based metrics going forward? Uh, on top of that, are you going to be an employee uh, or are you going to still be participating in the business or not? There's a revenue stream there that can certainly be negotiated that makes this more attractive or less attractive, both from a income perspective and then from a bonus perspective. And then there are other components to the transaction that adds value to your nest egg. We talk about real estate landlords. A lot of you know practices own the real estate. It is a great tax shelter and income preservation that makes transactions go a lot further uh, when you know folks can't meet the asking price, right? If I know that I'm going to get three hundred thousand dollars worth of rent on an annual basis over the next five years at triple net, and I'm paying very limited income tax on that because of the other the way that I structured it. That is very attractive to an owner. So you should not necessarily say, oh, where they're going to be $500,000 light on my upfront, you know, value, right? That may be true, but you're going to be sitting down in Miami and you're going to be collecting a check off of that. So I think of all of these components that have to go in with the deal. And sometimes it just, it's not in forefront. I'm a practice owner. I want to sell my practice. How much money am I getting? How much capital gains am I take, uh, you know, taking? And when am I putting in, in kind of my uh, my account afterwards? And yes, it's, it's one way to look at it. But I, again, there are other components that we, we need to be able to bring those to the table. Got it. Uh, so final question. Let's say you're on the sell side. You have a client. You earlier mentioned or we covered the, the question of like, what type of what number do you want? Like after all expenses, legal fees, advisory, whatever, taxes, capital gains, whatever, like what type of number? either that number or you talk to your client about like the, what they think they want or need for selling and getting out of their practice. Mm -hmm. Let's say you get a, you have a new client and their expectations are wildly misaligned with economic reality or what you're seeing. Can you typically kind of counsel and coach and educate a lot of these potential sellers over some amount of time where you're maybe communicating about possibly working together or are some practice owners just like not able to be realigned to the valuation of their potential practice? What, like, what have you seen historically? Uh, like with every question, it's, it, it depends. Uh, and mostly it depends on the specialty and folks may be chuckling out there saying you may some ha have some alpha male slash female types in, in certain specialties that just say, no, I've been to medical school and surgical school and did my residency for eight years. And I also, I have an MBA and I know I'm worth this. And yeah, those guys and gals are probably not going to be convinced with someone like myself. Uh, but I hope that with kind of the personality and just kind of, and the, the experience and, and relationships I've built over the years, there's some credibility in the fact that I, I have all the time in the world since I don't trade it for value, right? I have all the time in the world to help counsel, you know, folks and, and, and get people there. And so this, to me, it's about building relationships, having, you know, long-term commitments with folks. I'm not in constant sale mode. If I am sitting and having a dinner with you on the initial pitch, I expect to have at least, you know, two, three, four more, you know, conversations before we even start talking about value and what it's, what it's going to take. Because again, it's, understanding the motives and and what that practice is really going through 
Uh, Dave, I'll give you a, I'll give you a perfect example, right? So we we spoke about sellers and and, and buyers, and knowing that when you walk into an, uh, a scenario, you know that if someone's a seller, I'm tired, right? So I, I'm, I'm dealing with a practice. We'll go no names in Mid Atlantic, orthopedic surgeon uh, has got you know three junior associates. Has been practicing about 25 years. Owns the small uh, amatory surgery center also, and he and he's like, I'm exhausted. Uh, I, I just I have to get out. None of my junior associates are going to be able to pay what I think I'm worth. I got two kids going into college because they were twins. Uh, you, you gotta, you know, we just gotta sell. And what I told Dr. Y was, how about this? How about you take your family out on a vacation, two week vacation, just tune out and just don't do anything. Your junior associates doing great. You don't need to be here. You just got to refresh. Your kids are going away to school in September. Don't worry about it. Comes back. And the next phone call out of his mouth is like, yeah, you know, do you think that we can go raise a little bit of capital? Because I want to buy another ASA. You know, it's just a matter of reframing and trying to figure out what is, what's really going on in the person's head. The last three years have been extremely difficult for folks. And the economic environment over the past you know, year uh, plus through inflation and everything else, and it's also been difficult. So I try not to take everything at face value. I really try to listen and have those follow-up conversations, which is just a, a roundabout way of saying there are some people that can be saved. There are some people that can't be saved. It probably takes me a little bit longer to figure out which is which, but that's on me and not on them. Got it. Really perfect way to wrap up. Uh, what's a good place, Jason, for the audience to reach out to you if they want to potentially uh, communicate with you about either on the sell side, potentially exiting their practice, or on the buy side if they're looking to grow and expand? Email address, LinkedIn, website. What's a good place for the audience to connect with you further? Absolutely. Uh, www.hdsadvisory.com. There is a link there that if you want to put in your information, uh, book a you know 15-minute free consultation for me. Best way to do it. I'm also on LinkedIn, uh, Jason Horowitz slash something or another. My mug is on it, but uh, HDS Advisory is also on LinkedIn. And, you know, looking forward to having people reach out and just hearing what's going on. Dave, I really appreciate the time this morning. I, I again, I know that uh, we've been trying to, took a little bit longer uh, to connect, but uh, I'm glad all, we got all this, good. Uh, under our belt. Yeah. All good. We're, we're both busy. Uh, appreciate it. And uh, so, anyone in the audience, if you find this helpful and valuable, Go ahead and subscribe to The Dave Kittle Show on YouTube, iTunes, and Spotify. We'll catch you next time here on the show. And Jason, thank you very much. Thank you. Hey, it's Dave Kittle. Are you a healthcare business owner or physical therapy practice owner who is looking to figure out your succession plan or exit strategy? We might be able to help. And in fact, we may be interested in acquiring your practice. If you're interested, you can reach out to me. Shoot me an email at dave at conciergepainrelief.com. That's D-A-V-E at C-O-N-C-I-E-R-G-E, painrelief.com. Or you can call me at any time, 646-781-8884.